Have you ever um, have you ever wondered why God allows certain things to come into your life? Uh, have you ever wanted a blessed life? What is your idea of a blessed life? A lot of times we think that having a blessed life is uh, is one of ease, uh, a life that's full of health, wealth, and prosperity. Isn't that what we typically view as a blessed life? But biblically speaking, and we're going to see this in this psalm today, that's not the psalmist's view of a blessed life. His view of a blessed life is a life that is lived in obedience to the Lord. His view of a blessed life is the fact that when he is oppressed, he has someone that can defend him and deliver him. When he is afflicted, God can turn it around for good. I mean, his view of a blessed life and what we typically view as a blessed life are two different things. And I want us to look at how you can have a blessed life. You can have a blessed life, but I want to stress, I want you to have a biblically blessed life, <laughs> not, uh, not a false belief in a blessed life. Because the things that you think are a blessing can actually be something that's detrimental to you. I'm reminded <clears throat> of a couple of uh, quotes that I came across. Uh, <clears throat> Malcolm, and I can't even pronounce his last name, Muggeridge. All right, sounds like sounds like he was a mugger, <laughs> but he's not. All right, <laughs> says contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything I have learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my experience has been through affliction and not through happiness. I thought that was a very pungent point. Because a lot of times we, we just want to be happy. We, we want to do those things that will make us happy. But that's not going to lead to a blessed life. A blessed life includes affliction. But let me hasten to say affliction that's not wasted. Because when God is in control, then he has a reason for the affliction. He has a reason for the pain and the suffering that He allows to come into your life. So don't let it go wasted. That is a blessed life. A blessed life is making the most of those opportunities that God brings into your life. 
And one of the things that he brings into your life is pain, suffering, and affliction. And it comes in a variety of, uh, of colors and assorted uh, levels of pain. Some is emotional pain. Some is physical pain. Some is mental anguish. But God wants to use everything for our good. Now this morning, I want us to start out with, I think, the, the key verse in this whole psalm. And that is verse number... Where is he? Verse number 68. Because if this is not true, nothing that we're going to be talking about today is true either. The psalmist says, You are good and do good. If you're not convinced of that statement, when affliction comes into your life, you're going to question the goodness of God. And you will not be blessed. (laughs) It will short-circuit God blessing you. Because we need to understand it is because God is good and because He does good that the psalmist then says in verse 71, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. Now, doesn't that seem kind of ridiculous? I don't know about you, but I don't feel like (laughs) pain and suffering is good. (laughs) But it's because my perspective is all wrong. And I have to change my thinking about pain and suffering. I have to to change my thinking about affliction, about adversity. You see, God means these things for good. And we're going to look at some of those things this morning. Let's go back to how this psalm uh, begins. Now, let me just give you a little bit of information that that will help you understand the uniqueness of this psalm. It is... uh, It's divided up into eight verse segments. Now, it's interesting that it's divided up into 22 eight verse segments. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Each of these sections, get this, in the Hebrew language, it starts with that particular letter. I mean, this psalm is a literary genius who wrote it. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is a masterpiece of poetry. Every verse in verse, uh, verses 1 to 8 start with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The second uh, eight verses start with the second letter. I mean, that's incredible. And to see the thought flow. So we, we're not going to look at the whole psalm. We'd be here for a long time. All right. That's 176 verses. <laughs> we won't do that. All right. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, 
uh, ease your pain and suffering, all right? <laughs> We're going to look at four sections. The first one, two in the middle, and then how it ends. And I'm just going to give you, if you will, the main idea that I've come up with after meditating on it. Now, I would encourage you to read this psalm and to meditate on it. Because I believe the, the things that you learn in this psalm will help you maintain a personal progressive relationship with God. And you will learn the secret of living the Christian life. And it's abiding in the Word of God. Every verse except two mention the Word of God. That's incredible. 176 verses and 174 of them mention God's Word. You think that could be uh, a key to understanding this psalm? <laughs> is it any wonder this is almost dead center in the, in the middle of God's Word? It's the longest chapter in the Bible. It is the most focused chapter telling us about the importance of the Word of God in the life of a believer. I don't think that is a coincidence. I think that's by design. And so when we look at it, I want us to, to look at it in that light. A.W. Tozer said this, <clears throat> unused truth becomes as useless as an unused muscle. So again, we want to look at this with the goal of putting these principles into practice. So let's look at verses 1 to 8 together. Let me read it again. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Now, another thing about Hebrew poetry that you need to understand is it usually gives you a parallel truth. Now, either it's in contrast or it's emphasizing the same truth or it's explaining how the first part of the verse uh, is supposed to be fulfilled. For example, here it says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way. Now, who are the undefiled in the way? Those who walk in the law of the Lord. Do you see that? You see how the second part helps you understand the first part? That's how every verse is in this, uh, in this chapter. So secondly, our second verse says, Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with the whole heart. In other words, you're not going to be able to keep the testimonies if you're not seeking Him. All right? They also do no iniquity. They walk in His ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learned your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. Now, this past year, <clears throat> I was uh, privileged to, uh, to be a, 
a mentor for an intern at Word of Life uh, here in, in Hamilton. And a young man from our church wants to go into full-time ministry. And he was doing a course, a course at Pathways Bible College. And uh, one of the things that we did each week when we met together was discuss one of these psalms or one segment of these psalms. And I was helping him uh, come to the, the main idea and we would discuss how we got our main idea of that segment. And so I'd like to, uh, to share with you four of these key segments that really impacted my life personally. And, uh, and I want to tell you how I came to that. Each morning, I would read that segment. Uh, the first time I would read it, I would underline or mark in a distinct way all of the references to God's Word. And then I would note what it tells me about God's Word. You know, like His righteous judgments. Uh, there's eight different terms that He uses for the Word of God. And so, finding out those uniquenesses. So I would meditate on what, what does it tell me about God's Word? How significant is it? Then, the second time, I would go back and I would uh, mark in a distinct way what it tells me about God and what it tells me about the writer. Because I want to know about the character of God and I want to know what the writer's thinking. What is he praying? What is he wanting from God? And then the next thing that I would do is I would go back and I would underline all of the action words. What is God doing? What is the psalmist doing? What are the other people in that segment doing to him? Sometimes it's his friends. Those are great times. Sometimes it's his enemies. Those are not good times. And so it helps me understand. So this is four days into it, and I'm just looking and observing what's in the text and just marking down what it tells me about the Word of God, about God, about the psalmist, about the other people in that segment. Then on day five, I come back and I start writing down what I see is the main idea. How does this all fit together? And boy, that is challenging. That's the most difficult thing. <laughs> Try to make it all fit. What is he saying in one sentence? So I'm going to save you the hard work. And I want to give you the one sentence that I've come up with, all right? But I'm just going to do it for four segments. You got, you got 18 more to go, all right? So hopefully this will whet your appetite. So you can uh, begin doing that. Now, if we can go to the next slide, <clears throat> this is how you can fill in your blank. In this passage, uh, beginning this psalm, we see that in order to have a blessed life, we must become a learner who seeks God wholeheartedly while living out God's Word diligently in reliance upon God to establish a heart with an upright and obedient bent. 
that is filled with fearless and unashamed praise. Now let me explain why I've come to this uh, summary sentence. First of all, he says, Blessed are the undefiled. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. So anytime you see a word that's repeated, that's an important thing. And here in this, in two verses, he talks about having a blessed life. What is involved in being blessed from God's perspective? Then I want you to look down at verse 7. He says, I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. We'll never learn God's righteous judgments unless we become a learner. I don't know if any of you have ever taught Sunday school or taught in public school or tried to teach a child. (laughs) One thing I have learned as a parent, as a teacher, as a pastor, you can't not teach anyone that doesn't want to be taught. Is that true? Have you ever tried to teach someone that doesn't want to be taught? How successful are you? (laughs) Not very successful. I can guarantee it. So the first thing we want to make sure, if we're going to be blessed from a biblical perspective, we got to make sure that we are a learner with a teachable spirit. So we must become a learner. But I want you to see something. A learner that's not pursuing knowledge. A person and a learner that's pursuing a person. Notice in verse number 2. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. It's not about learning more information about God. It's about learning who God is, what he's like how He wants us to live, how He's designed us to live. So we're pursuing a person, a relationship with a person, not just information about a person. If you want a blessed life, that's the kind of person you have to become. All right? But notice, we must become a learner who seeks God wholeheartedly. That has to be the pursuit of our life. That has to be the goal of our life. We desire that more than anything else in life. To know God personally, intimately. But I guarantee you, uh, if you don't do the next part, it's going to short-circuit your relationship. Just like if you do things in your relationship with your spouse, it can sever, the re- not the relationship, but the fellowship within that relationship. Uh, you can say the wrong thing at the wrong time. You can say the right thing at the wrong time. <laughs> you know, sometimes it just you just wake up and things are strained. We need to realize the same thing is true with God. We need to be careful 
how we relate to him because it can sever the fellowship. Now, he's, he makes it pretty clear that we need to be a learner who seeks God wholeheartedly while living out God's word diligently. The word keep his commandments. I want you to understand the word keep is more than just, uh, just obeying it. It is observing who God is and what he would do in a particular situation. So I know what he would do, therefore, that's what I'm going to do. It's kind of like a child who has a great deal of respect for his parents, and they're on their own for the first time. Now, what did mom and dad tell me to do? Oh, yeah, I was supposed to do this, I was supposed to do that. And they're real excited and eager to do what their parents told them to do because they're on their own, right? They want to observe what mom and dad told them to do in that particular situation. Remember, you're a representative of the Smith family. <laughs> oh, yes, okay. We do these things because we're Smiths. <laughs> you know, oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry, I can't do that. <laughs> that's how God wants us to live is we do things not because the world is doing it, but because our Heavenly Father has instilled these principles and this way of life into our lives. But notice, <clears throat> verse 5, he says, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. In verse 8, Oh, do not forsake me utterly. This pursuing God and knowing His Word must be done in reliance upon Him. Because if He's not teaching us, then it's a fruitless exercise. We're, we're just looking at it for information's sake alone. But if we come to the text and say, Lord, teach me what you want me to know, do you see the difference? Do you see how that impacts our lives in a different way? That's what the psalmist is telling us we need to do. We need to study, but we need to study in reliance upon God. That's why we pray before we read the Word of God. Lord, show me what you want to teach me. But not only show me, enable me to do it. <laughs> enable me to put it into practice. When he says teach, it's, it's not just teach me information, it's train me in how to live. Train me how to put this into practice. Give me opportunities to put it into practice. That's the idea of studying in reliance upon God. It's interesting, this prayer, where he says, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. The New American Standard says, Oh, that my ways were established. All right? The idea of that term being established is, um, you know how you set concrete? You know, uh, anybody made a, what do they call it, a, a mowing run? You know, you, you put this mowing run under a fence so you don't have to weed eat and all of that kind of stuff. And you build these, these uh, 
what do you call it? The, the little thing, <laughs> you put boards in place, then you pour the concrete in and it sets, right? And some of them, man, they, they make these little windy things and they can be really amazing. That's kind of the term here. We want to set it. Lord, set my ways. Give me a heart that is bent towards obeying and doing what you want us to do. That's the prayer. And when we talk about a learner's heart, that is at the heart. Lord, give me an obedient bent. Now, in your notes, I've put, in reliance upon God to establish a heart with an upright and obedient bent. He says, oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. But then look at verse 7. I will praise you with uprightness of heart. You see, I want a heart that does things not... I, I don't want to just do the right things. I want to do it with the right motive. I want to do it for the right reason. That's the idea. And then he says... Uh, um, Oh, he wants to do this hastily. <laughs> I love that word. May I be in, you know, in haste to keep your word. That's a, that's a neat, a neat phrase. So establish a heart with an upright and obedient bent that it may be filled with fearless and unashamed praise. Notice he says, I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments, I will keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. And so there we see he, he does not want to be ashamed. Verse 6, he says, Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. Isn't it a neat thing to look into God's word and it confirms in your soul that you're doing the right thing? Oh, it's not very joyful when you look in God's Word and it points out what you're not doing. <laughs> right, is it? You're, oh, that's not confirmation. That's condemnation. Oh, Lord, forgive me. That's the power of God's Word. I want to go to the next slide and I want to go over to verse 55. Verse 55. I think this is so important. He says, You are my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep your words. I entreated your favor with my whole heart. Be merciful to me according to your word. I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. I made haste and did not delay to keep your commandments. The cords of the wicked have bound me, but I have not forgotten your law. At midnight, I will rise to give thanks to you. Because of your righteous judgment, I am a companion of all who fear you, and of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your mercy. Teach me your statutes. Now in this psalm, this is pretty uh, a pretty simple one. I, I put, since I have a personal relationship with the Lord, I should seek to understand and hastily obey His word in reliance, reliance upon Him while surrounding myself with godly friends. This word portion, 
It was used of um, the, the priests, uh, the Levites, when they entered into the promised land. You, you do realize that the Levites didn't get any land. They, they, their inheritance was not land. It was a special relationship with God, serving in His temple, serving in His tabernacle. And so they had a unique privileged position to live and work in God's presence. That was their inheritance. And that's what this psalmist is saying. You are my portion. You are my inheritance. Living and working in your presence is my portion. That's my inheritance. Above everything else in life, that's what I long for. And so since he has this personal relationship with the Lord, he says, I want to seek to understand and hastily obey. He prays that God would give him understanding and that he would be hasty in keeping his word. But also notice the prayers in this song. He keeps praying, Lord, teach me. Show me, give me understanding so that I can do these things. If you don't do your part, I won't be able to do mine. (laughs) If you don't teach me, if you don't give me understanding, if you don't give me the enabling ability to do it, I'm not going to be able to do it. So I'm living in this relationship depending on you and relying on you to do what I can't do. But notice, he, he says, I am a companion of all who fear you, and of those who keep your precepts. I think it tells us the importance that this psalmist realized about having the right kind of friends. We need godly friends who will say, Barry, you sure you ought to be doing that? Barry, what are you thinking? Why did you do that? I just want to encourage you. You need to think about what you're doing. We need friends who fear God more than their peers, more than what the world says, what what man says. We need godly people around us that will encourage us to walk in the right way. Don't underestimate your relationships. Make sure you have godly influences in your life that will help you to live this kind of a relationship. Now let's look at verses 65 to 72. This one challenges me every time I read it. He says, you have dealt well with your servant. That word well is translated later in this chapter as good. Good is mentioned Four times in these next four or these next eight verses. It's a very important term in this segment because you got to understand God's goodness and the fact He does good, or you won't understand the goodness of affliction. When He says, You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word, He is including bringing affliction into His life. You need to understand that. 
Because he says in verse 71, it is good for me that I have been afflicted. You've dealt well with me. You've dealt good to me. And it's been good that I've been afflicted. Lord, it's been good that I fell off that ladder. Ooh. That's not an easy thing to pray <laughs> and to thank God for when you're in pain. But you know, as soon as it happened, I realized, wait a minute, God means this for good. I don't want to waste this opportunity. Lord, teach me what you want to teach me. Help me to be receptive to what you want to do in my life at this time. Don't, don't let this pain, you know, go unanswered. I, I, want, I want it to be useful. I don't want it to be wasted. He says, teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me. But I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease or calloused is the idea. But I delight in your law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. Now let me share what I've learned uh, from this passage. Since God is good, and does good, affliction is good for us. Do you believe that? If you think affliction is bad, then you're going to say, oh, why does God, who supposedly loves me, allow such bad things to happen to such a good person? <laughs> oh, no. Don't doubt the goodness of God. Realize He's bringing something into your life because He has a purpose. He has something planned either now or down the road or most likely both that He wants to accomplish in your life through this affliction. So since God is good and does good, affliction is good for us because, first of all, we can gain good discernment and knowledge through his word. He says in, in verse 66, teach me good judgment and knowledge for I believe your commandments. When we understand how this world operates from God's perspective, it gives us good discernment and knowledge in what's going on and how we ought to react to it. A lot of times, my daughters, they come to me and they come to my wife uh, especially and they go, oh, this is happening at school. And they're saying this and they're saying that. and blah, blah, blah. My wife says, what can you learn out of that? What does God want to teach you? What does God want to do through that to help you? I don't know. Nothing. <laughs> no, 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 no. You're thinking all wrong. How? There's a presumption there that God wants to use this. Now, 
What is it he wants to use in your life in this instance? Okay. <laughs> Lord, help me. <laughs> and that's the conclusion. The second thing is that affliction is good because we can be drawn back to God after going astray. We just sang about that. We're prone to wander, to leave the God we love. I don't think it's just that songwriter. I think we all have a propensity to do that. And yet, affliction, God uses sometimes to bring us back. He says, okay, I'll let you go, I'll let you go. Boom, smack, ow! I don't like that. Okay, well, get back over here, boy. (laughs) Get back over here, girl. (laughs) Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. (laughs) And we get back in line with what God's wanting to do in our lives. You see, sometimes affliction is discipline. And that's good because it brings us back to where we need to be. The third thing is that we gain insight into the character of others. He talks about the proud forging a lie against him about their hearts being as fat as grease. They're callous. There's there's no remorse. There's no uh, empathy or sympathy on their part. Tell you what, affliction really does give you insight into the character of others, doesn't it? You know who your true friends are, and who your fair-weather friends are. Or worse still, those that you need to be aware of because they will kick you when you're down or try to trip you up. You see, affliction is good because it teaches us about ourselves. It also can bring us back to God, but it can teach us about other people too. But notice, fourthly, we can become more responsive to learning and applying God's word. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. I remember when my dad um, was in a, a mental health care unit after my mom passed away, and we were trying to, to help him and uh, get him regulated on some medicine so we so he wouldn't be so mean. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember going through the book of Job while I was with my dad for about a month and a half and uh, that transitional period. And we were able to move him from uh, a mental hospital to uh, a nursing home and then ultimately to my brother's home. And he stayed there for two years before needing to go back into the nursing home uh, for care before he passed away this last year. And I remember uh, that time I was, I was meditating and going through the book of Job and how God's word ministered to me. It gave me such practical insights. It was almost like I would read something that morning my dad would get up and I would need to put it into practice that day. I'm going, man, this is, this is really a practical book. <laughs> and the things that I noted and I, I wrote these principles down 
for helping people who are going through difficult times. And then God just gave me the opportunities. Oh, the insights that I learned. Ah, and then the opportunities to apply it right away. That's what affliction does. Wasn't easy, but boy, was it beneficial. Then the neat thing was when I came back to New Zealand, I was able to share all those things that God had taught me to other people so that they could help other people who are going through difficult times there. What a blessing. And then the last thing, God's word will become more precious to us. He says, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of coins of gold and silver. I tell you what, um, I don't want the troubles that come with wealth, but I do want the blessings that come with a wealth of knowledge of God. That's much better and much more precious than gold and silver. Well, that's kind of the height of this psalm. But then I want to see how this psalm closes and then I'll close. All right? So bear with me. One more stanza. And this is a really neat stanza because there's like seven out of the eight verses is a prayer to God. Notice how the psalmist began. Blessed is the man who does these things. Teach me, Lord. Teach me. Help me. I understand. And all through the psalm, he's praying, Lord, I'm, I, I want to do this in reliance on you. And at the conclusion, he is just praising God for all the things he does. Now notice the things that he's praising God for. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips shall utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. Let your hand become my help, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live, and it shall praise you, and let my judgments help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. In closing, I want to share with you. A blessed life is a life that is lived in reliance upon God with ceaseless praise because of the security God provides to the relationship. Even in times of affliction, oppression, persecution, and even wandering away. Now think about what this passage teaches us, what this psalm teaches us. He talks about those who afflict him, those who oppress him, those who persecute him. He talks about his struggle of wanting to wander away. Lord, keep me from it. Keep me from it. Call me back. But notice how he ends. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, and do not, for I do not forget your commandments. 
His reliance is upon God to come after him, even if he does wonder. <laughs> There's security in that kind of a relationship. And this is a blessed, blessed life. Notice, it is not without affliction. It is not without oppression. It is not without a, a persecution. It's not without a propensity to wander away. It is in that context that you can still live a blessed life if you live it in reliance upon God. Man, when you live in reliance upon God, He will give you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to praise Him with ceaseless praise. Why? Because He's delivered you from affliction. He's delivered you from oppression. He's delivered you from persecution. He's called you back from wandering away. That is a blessed life. One that is lived in reliance upon God. Now in closing, I want to share four life lessons. First, remaining a learner with a teachable spirit throughout life is essential for a blessed life. If you're not a learner with a teachable spirit, you will not be blessed. Life's going to be hard. So stay teachable. Secondly, practicing God's Word is more important than just knowing God's Word. All right? It's about being a doer of the Word, not just a hearer of it. I know what to do. It's just sometimes I don't do it. Ugh, and that gets me into trouble. We need to be the doer, not just the hearer. And the third thing is seeking to know, God, know the God of the Word is more important than seeking to know God's Word. That was a secret I learned early in my uh, university years, is it's not about knowing more information. It's about getting to know the God of the Bible, not just the Bible. We're pursuing a relationship with Him, not just more information. And lastly, applicational knowledge of God's Word requires God's involvement in the process and diligent effort on our part. So we're joining God. We can't do it just with our sheer effort. But neither will He do it without any effort on our part. <laughs> you need both. That's why we live in reliance upon Him to do what we can't. But we seek to live out God's Word as diligently as we possibly can and crying out to Him for help in the areas we can't seem to, to make. Make sense? Think that psalm could help you? Man, we just looked at 4 out of 22. You got, you got a lot more that you can discover. I pray that you will. In conclusion, a learner living a life in reliance upon God to teach and implement His Word will result in countless blessings and ceaseless praise even in difficult times because of the security God provides to the relationship. Man, what a joy, what a privilege God has given us. Let's pray.